And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast that looks at K-12 policy and the politics surrounding K-12. I'm Kevin. And I'm Clark. And we have a busy week here. We have a bunch of stuff that we'd like to walk through from the past week. And um, we'll, we'll start with a big topic for, for us, a topic that I'm going to be looking at really closely in these next uh, few months, the Literacy Initiative. We, we've written about it before, and we'll continue to look at this thing more closely, but now we're getting a better sense of what may happen in the schools. This was, Kevin, one of the big initiatives from the most recent legislative session earlier this year. Uh, the news we heard out of the State House was that each year about 37,000 mm -hmm. Idaho students yeah. in grades kindergarten through third grade are not meeting uh, their reading and literacy benchmark. And so the legislature appropriated money uh, to launch this uh, literacy uh, intervention, this initiative, and those plans were just recently turned into the state. Kevin, you had a chance to look through uh, about 13 of the school right. district's plans. How are some of our school districts planning to use this money uh, and, and hopefully improve uh, reading scores among our youngest struggling readers? Mm -hmm. Well, what I looked at, and it was not a scientific sample. It was a cross-section and mostly looked at some of the larger districts just to try to get a sense of what may happen affecting the most uh, students around the state. And what I found, probably not too surprising, there's real variation between uh, districts in terms of how they want to approach this literacy initiative, how they want to spend their share of $11.25 million. Um, some of the things that jumped out, um, you look at a district like CUNA, they're going to put almost all of their money into personnel. They have really tried to expand uh, kindergarten, provide all-day kindergarten for kids who are struggling with their reading. And I think they want to do more of that, and I think that's where they want to put their money. NAMP is also looking at uh, adding uh, kindergarten teachers, part-time kindergarten teachers. Then you look at a district like Coeur d'Alene, putting almost all of its money into training, trying to get their teachers uh, better trained in reading, in reading instruction. And then you look at a district like uh, Twin Falls, where the biggest line item is technology. They want to get Chromebooks into the hands of kids so that uh, they can work on... Uh, reading instruction software individually or in small groups. So a whole lot of different approaches to how do you do a, a literacy program for at-risk kids. And you know, I don't think anybody is uh, smart enough to say that there's one right approach or one wrong approach. There are probably multiple approaches that may work. So what you've got, just looking at these 13 districts, is the sense that you know everybody's going to be piloting some different things. And that you mentioned they're all across the board, everybody's going to be piloting different things, but that was kind of the legislature's idea, right? Mm -hmm. That they would grant local controls, a word that we hear a lot uh, around the state house, uh, but they wanted local school districts and local educators to decide the plan that would be best uh, for their mm -hmm. own students, did right. they not? Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, another variation that's important to point out here is I looked at the 13 plans real variations in terms of what the districts say they hope to see this year. Yeah. Uh, the state's uh, template for these plans uh, asked these, the districts to sort of lay out a goal for 2016, 2017. What percentage of your kids are going to be reading at grade level in the spring? Caldwell's numbers jumped off the page for me. We've written a lot about Caldwell uh, and, and some of the demographic challenges facing that school district. They want big improvements in reading scores immediately. I mean, we're talking about 30 percentage point increases 
in reading proficiency. That's a very ambitious goal. Contrast that, uh, the Boise district, which has pretty good reading scores. You know, they have 82% of their kindergartners were reading at grade level at the end of last year. So their goal is just to get to 83%. They're really trying to take more of a, you know, a low-key, um, you know, tempered approach to it because they're, they're already at a fairly high percentage. So, and then you looked and there were some of the other plans that really didn't even lay out a benchmark. There were no numbers, no goals that I could see as I reviewed them. So I'm going to be very curious to see now what happens with these plans as they go to the State Board of Education and what kind of review, what sort of uh, pushback, if any, comes from the State Board of Education, because that's an interesting step in this process. Yeah, for sure. Two things here. I, I want to let folks know that uh, if you're interested in finding out specifically a little bit more about some of the specific districts you looked at, uh, you did a great story on Thursday. You can find it at our homepage, IdahoEdNews.org. It's also and if you're in like if you're in, like in the Caldwell district or any of these other districts, you want to download the report and read it for yourself. You can do that. Yeah. Uh, I did get a question here on Facebook Live uh, from our friend J.J. Saldana, and he asked about the situation with all-day kindergarten uh, in Idaho. The question is, are there a lot of schools with all-day kindergarten? Kevin, that's not something uh, that is required uh, by the state. Well, but kindergarten isn't required at all, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but all-day kindergarten can be in the mix with the literacy uh, programs. Can you talk about that just briefly? It, it is in the mix. I didn't see as much of that in the districts that I looked at. Like I said, CUNA, they already do some all-day kindergarten, but uh, what they've done with some of their all-day kindergarten programs is that it's tuition-based. I mean, if parents want their kids to have all-day kindergarten, that's fine, but you're, you're going to have to pay uh, for that to happen. Now, with the literacy money, we're talking about $300 a kid, um, there may be some funding so that districts can do more all-day kindergarten. But in the districts I looked at, the 13, not a whole lot of expansion in all-day kindergarten. Uh, you see a lot of districts talking about trying to uh, add some time, maybe at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, or um, do some summer programs, a lot of different ways. Anyway, to, to kind of close the loop here, um, what happens now, State Board looks over these plans. Uh, they do not have veto power right. over these plans. It's not like the State Board can say, District X, this is unacceptable, and you're not going to get any money because the money is probably going to come this month, and that's coming through the State Department of Education. So what you've got here is the State Board has a role in looking at these plans, but not a concrete role in looking at these plans. So it might be uh, interesting to take a look at where we wind up in a few weeks. I appreciate that. Uh, just a quick heads up, uh, check out that article. And if you're interested in the literacy programs, Spoiler alert, you're going to be taking a deep dive uh, into uh, how the state of Idaho is addressing literacy. We're going to partner up, uh, and that's something that folks can expect uh, before the legislative session, before right, the end of the year. Right. right? Uh, we're working with Idaho Public Television. I'm working on a series with them uh, looking at just what is this rollout looking like. And went out with some of the public TV folks yesterday uh, working on some, some interviews, and we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep working on it. It's a big big deal. It's a big project, and we're trying to uh, get a sense of how is the state launching into this. Okay. Speaking of big projects and, and, big, and, and big undertakings, the State Department of Education has this, this, this tiger by the tail called ESSA, uh, and the whole compliance issue uh, under the federal law. You've taken a, a closer look at what kind of deadlines, what kind of milestones uh, the State Department is looking at. 
Give us some of the highlights here. This is a big deal, Kevin, uh, as you said. The, what this is, this is the new federal education law that was signed December of 2015. It replaces no child left behind. Mm -hmm. and, and I think uh, a lot of To the morning of basically nobody. And, and administrators were happy to see no child left behind go. Uh, this is a complicated, uh, sweeping uh, law. Uh, but one of the things to keep in mind, one of the things that this law is notable for, is it pushes away accountability and control of schools, pushes that away from the federal government, and gives that control to the states. Uh, and so right now, Idaho is ramping up the effort to comply with the Every Student Succeeds Act. And they have a couple of big deadlines between now and March when they need to turn in their plan to the federal government. And so why is this a big deal? Just two things uh, to think about real quick. Idaho has not had any kind of accountability system governing right. its schools during State Superintendent Sherry Barra's term here. They repealed uh, the old five-star rating five -star system, right. under Tom Luna. Idaho's gotten waivers, and it hasn't had an accountability system. And uh, there were some reasons for that. We changed academic standards. We changed tests. Uh, but now, uh, looking forward to the 2017-2018 school year, Idaho's going to be required um, to, first of all, finalize its plan, and then the schools will be governed by that plan in 2017-2018. One of the things uh, to go along with that plan is Idaho's going to have to identify its lowest performing schools and then come up with plans and resources to help those schools improve. So that's the first thing to look out for. The second thing is later this month in October, the state is expected to release its draft of the Consolidated State Plan, which says how they are going to comply with this major federal education law. After that, throughout November, there's going to be chances for the public, for teachers, for administrators, taxpayers, community leaders to weigh, on, weigh in on the plan and offer suggestions. And this plan is big because it touches on a number of education topics from testing to accountability like we talked about, mm -hmm. to disadvantaged learners, to teacher training, uh, to students who are learning the English language. And so it's basically Idaho's roadmap to compliance with this plan. And I did a story on Thursday that has a series of bullet points that walks through what's expected of the state of Idaho, what's required of the state of Idaho, and some of the big deadlines uh, that are coming up. And so you can, you can look for that story and also look for much more coverage from Idaho Ed News when that draft plan is released later this month and then when those public hearings begin in November. But that, that accountability plan is going to be really delicate when you really have to start to identify the 5% of schools that are lowest performing in the state. That's, that's tough to do. That's a very sensitive uh, job for the State Department of Education and then to lay out a plan to try to get those schools to, to improve. That's, that's a difficult thing. But on the other hand, I mean, this is what Sherry Abar wanted all along. She had been talking from the beginning that she wanted more control over this system. She wanted a federal law that gave the states more latitude than they had under the uh, much maligned No Child Left Behind. So, you know, in a sense, you know, be careful what you wish for sometimes. Exactly. It's going to be a sensitive, delicate process. And one thing that's kind of on my radar, the success uh, and the buy-in in this project is going to have a lot to do with the accuracy of the data we use. We're talking mm -hmm. about building this big data dashboard that has multiple school achievement and teacher quality measures. 
uh, that thing is going to depend on accurate, reliable right. data for it to be a success. Otherwise, uh, it may not be trusted. Uh, it may be rejected. Uh, and so, uh, and we've talked about data yeah, accuracy. I wonder why we talk about data accuracy around here. That's something we follow closely, but I think that is going to be a big, important factor if there's yeah, to totally. be buy-in and, yeah. and success. Uh, so keep watching uh, for that. Check Idaho Ed News for the latest. But moving on, Kevin, you had a chance to observe uh, the legislative budget writing uh, mm -hmm. joint committee as they had sort of their fall tour this year. But uh, can you give us sort of a preview about maybe what's at stake for education is the state's largest budget every year. What, uh, what are we maybe looking at this year? Okay, so JFAC does this every year. The budget committee gets together in the fall and they kind of single out a, a section of the state to do some tours, get some presentations, do some on the ground, what's happening in state agencies. And it so happened that they were in, in Boise in the Treasure Valley this year. So they started the, the proceedings with sort of an overview about where the budget stands. And that was what I, what I covered. And the numbers are really interesting, and in some ways they're really encouraging. What the budget writers heard was that uh, tax revenues are coming in well. Uh, there are other uh, pieces in the budget that are, are, are looking pretty good. That right now, uh, between what the legislature carried over last year in terms of a balance and what they've seen so far, very early in the year, only a couple of months of tax collections, but good ahead of projections, uh, uh, tax collections. So what, what comes out of that is, you know, if you just look at the, the revenues, if you just look at the, the cash flow right now in the state, it bodes well for a lot of the education initiatives that are going to come along uh, next session. A lot of the budget recommendations, requests that uh, Sherry Ibarra has already made, Presumably, some of the uh, budget recommendations we'll see from Governor Otter. Uh, you know, my, my lead, my takeaway is, you know, if, this, if the budget committee really wants to put another $100 million into public education, which is where Sherry Ibarra would like to see this budget go next year, the money's there. Yeah. So, uh, so that's encouraging. But you know and I know that the budget aspect of this equation is only part of the equation. The other aspect of this equation that's a big deal is the tax policy mm -hmm. uh, you know, wing of the legislature. And there is pent-up frustration among some legislators who are really clamoring for tax relief, who are going to look at these numbers and say, if we're collecting more than we're spending, then we should be giving some of this back to the taxpayers in the form of tax relief. So you know, I think there's going to be a lot of tension between the budget writers and the tax writers between folks who want to see more investments in education and uh, tax relief. So I, I think you know, the battle lines are, are likely to, to form fairly early in the legislative session. If these numbers continue to roll in, if the money continues to roll in, uh, it could be a very uh, interesting legislative session. We know session. there's a lot on the table. There's basically a $58 million request to increase teacher pay and salaries to the, I want to say, the third year of the career ladder. There are a lot of members of the House, especially, uh, who would like a big tax cut package this year. And we certainly do remember the backlog of maintenance uh, for roads, bridges, highways, that sort of thing. So a lot of uh, competing projects for sure. Um, but we're just starting to take a look uh, at the numbers in the budget for next year's legislative session. 
Early January, Kevin. Yeah. We'll be knee deep in it. Yes, um, we will. And we'll have reports every day uh, from the State House. Right. And so this just sort of sets up where we stand early on in this uh, in this budget year. So you can go to idahoednews.org and take a deeper dive into those numbers and take a deeper look at some of the, the line items that are uh, in the works in terms of education funding, some of the proposals that are, uh, that are awaiting the legislature come January. Meanwhile, away from the State House, uh, you and Andrew Reed got a chance to, uh, to visit uh, schools in Homedale last week and got a chance to look at some innovative programs going on there. What did you guys see? This was a, a fun field trip for Andrew and, and I. Andrew does our multimedia uh, reporting in the videos that you see at Idaho Education News. But uh, So Homedale, uh, out west of here, kind of along the uh, Oregon border there in Oahe County, uh, is one of the 43 school districts uh, in charters in Idaho that are on a four-day calendar. Right. Mm -hmm. So we went out there on the fifth day, on Friday, and we found about 50 kids that were begging to go to school on their day off. And the reason they wanted to go to school is because they had a couple of teachers, uh, in particular one teacher from the Teach for America program, who volunteered to start kind of like a math boot camp on Friday. They call it the Math Minds Academy, and they basically invite students at uh, Homedale Middle School to participate based on their math scores, and what the teacher had found was that in her first year last year, uh, several students were coming into her classroom and they weren't prepared uh, to take the next level in math. They had some struggles with some of their basic skills with addition, subtraction, place values, and so she wanted to come up with a way to improve their scores, and so she volunteered uh, to launch this Friday Math Minds Academy. Uh, there's been a great response from the students. Surprisingly, we found 50 kids there on Friday. I think there's another 25 kids that are on a waiting list uh, that would like to come. And um, it, it's just beginning. It's just in its infancy. But they're really hoping that the program will not only catch the students up with what they are behind on, uh, but get them current with what's going on mm -hmm. in their math classes uh, today. One of the teachers did a survey of the students after the first week, and 98% of them uh, said that they were confident in their abilities and they felt like this math academy on Friday uh, would help them reach their goals. And so it was a fun little story. We've got a neat video uh, to go with it. It was published earlier um, this week out of Homedale. Uh, but it was kind of fun. Right. Fun and, to see and, teachers coming in on their day off uh, to lead this program. Fun to see students coming in on their day off, Kevin. And, and there are a lot of policy implications to this thing, too, uh, beyond the, the feature and beyond what's going on with the kids in Homedale. Because as you mentioned, we've got 43 school districts around the state on this four-day calendar, and it'll be interesting to see if any other districts try to adopt something like this or modify into something like this. Because when we did our series last fall on the four-day school districts and, and went out to some of these four-day districts, to me one of the things that was really interesting to try to get a handle on is what happens on that fifth day? Yeah. And it varies from mm -hmm. district to district. Some really use that time to, to try to provide some extra help. So this, this has happened in other districts, what they're trying to do in Homedale. But you have a lot of school districts that look at it as, okay, uh, we've got basketball, volleyball, football teams that have long road trips on Friday. We'll, we'll just you know, make this a athletics is, you know, the, right. the kids are on the road, so they're at least they're not on the road during a school day. And there's the broader issue of math achievement in the state of Idaho. I did a big story late this summer, right before the school year started, 
uh, basically about how math achievement is a concern. I know some people don't like the NAEP test, but if you look at the NAEP test, math scores were flat for years despite, uh, I want to say, $16 million worth of investment in the Idaho Math Initiative and another uh, almost $100 million in professional development for training for teachers over that time, math school well, is kind of right, flat. Right, and if you don't like the if you don't like the NAEP, you can look at the uh, scores on the SBAC in math, and kind of the slide that we see as kids get into high school, or you can look at the SAT scores. I mean, there's a there's a pretty big body of uh, evidence to suggest that math scores are not where uh, where they need to be, yeah. and where uh, state leaders want them to be. So, a program like Homedale's uh, focusing in on math skills. It'll be interesting to see if that's replicated elsewhere. It will be interesting to see. You can check that story out at Idaho Ed News. Real quick, we had a question on Facebook Live from Luke Cavender, uh, Cavender and it was about the data. I believe he was asking about the data that will go into uh, the data dashboards for our accountability model. Uh, and, and the question is, who is responsible for, for providing that data? And uh, as I understand it, it's going to be the school districts themselves that provide the data in a similar fashion that we see today, mm -hmm. uploading it through uh, the IC system. And so that ultimately falls to, I believe, the school administrators uh, have that responsibility. So the data comes from the individual districts. Uh, they provide it, and then it goes to, uh, for initially, to the State Department of right. Education. And I asked some of the State Department of Education folks about that because of our concerns about data accuracy, about whether there would be an auditing or a review process, and, and they did acknowledge that uh, the data accuracy is, a con is, a, is something that's important to them. Uh, and so that's something that we'll be following, but yes, the data will be supplied by the school districts themselves, and so that would make the administrators accountable. I want to thank uh, JJ and Luke for watching on Facebook Live and for asking awesome questions. We will get in touch with you guys. I think we have a, a small Ed News prize that we can share with you guys uh, if you're interested. As it's always, a mystery secret surprise. Secret you know. surprise, yeah. yeah. Uh, you'll love it. Uh, but as always, I want to thank everybody uh, who uh, listened live today on Facebook Live. If you like it, uh, if you enjoy these Friday morning rituals, let us know on Facebook or Twitter. We like doing it, um, and uh, we're, we're happy to do more of them. I also want to thank everybody that listens to the traditional Extra Credit podcast, which you can get Fridays through iTunes. You can subscribe for that. I think that catches us up with all the week's headlines. Uh, thanks as always. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.